This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix. You're stuck with the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Hello, Andrew. How are you doing, Monica? I'm swell. There hasn't been a kaiju attack in over 14 days. That's good. I really hope that they don't come back and kill us all. I would hate to start that countdown again. Did you know that the kaiju killed the dinosaurs? Damn it. I knew it wasn't what they told me in school. This completely changes everything. Hey, all you scientists. You're wrong. You're wrong. wrong. <laughs> This is part two of episode number 57 of Cinema Fix, focused on the movie The Lone Ranger again! Woohoo! Psych. How angry would you be if that was the case, Monica? No, I would just turn off the f- call right now. <laughs> We're done here. No more. No more Lone Ranger. <laughs> Go talk. home. You're drunk. (laughs) No, we're actually going to be talking about Pacific Rim, and if you're looking for part one, you are listening to the wrong file. Go away. We don't want you here. If this is your first time listening to Cinema Fix, basically this is the show on Film Geek Radio devoted to discussion of mainstream blockbuster films, and each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part is a general spoiler-free discussion, and the second part, which you're listening to right now, is the more in-depth analysis of the movie, complete with spoilers, and it's designed to be listened to after you've heard part one, or at least after you've seen the movie. Again, this is part two, so if you don't want to be spoiled about Pacific Rim, stop listening now and go check out part one. All right, we've already talked about the plot in part one. I'm going to assume everyone listening has seen the film, so before we dive into things, here's a clip. Marshall, can we just talk about this for one second? You rescued her. You raised her. You're not protecting her now. You are holding her back. One, don't you ever touch me again. Two, don't you ever touch me again. Now, you have no idea who the hell I am or where I've come from, and I'm not about to tell you my whole life story. All I need to be to you and everybody on this dome is a fixed point. The last man standing. I do not need your sympathy or your admiration. All I need is your compliance and your fighting skills. And if I can't get that, then you can go back to the wall that I found you crawling on. Do I make myself clear? Yes, sir. Good. Okay, Monica, let's talk about Pacific Rim. Would you like to kick things off, or should I? You should kick things off. I did last time. The first thing I'll say about Pacific Rim, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with some of the stuff I didn't like, just because I feel like overall you and I were quite positive on the movie. Yeah, this might be a short episode. Maybe. I'm gonna, I want to talk about the few things that I didn't like and that I think could have actually made the film mind-blowingly excellent instead of just pretty good and fun. Yeah. There's this weird thing in Pacific Rim, and I think this might be the Avatar effect. Uh Uh-huh. 
But this is another movie in which human beings have to neurally connect to something and control this this avatar of themselves. See, I was even thinking beyond Avatar. It's also The Matrix. And they have to plug in and be in a part of another world. Yes, except they're not in another world. I mean, the one, the main difference between The Matrix and Avatar is that here in Pacific Rim, they're actually inside the giant things they're controlling. Yeah. So that's a little bit different. I guess so closer to Avatar, but still, same in the whole plug-it-and-play aspect. It came with technology. It does add a little bit more tension. Like, I feel like the stakes are a little bit higher. I mean, in Avatar, you had Sam Worthington and the gang away in some little bunker while they connected to their avatars, so they were supposedly safe from harm. (laughs) But in this movie, they're actually inside the Jaegers, so if they lose the fight... They're probably going to die. Yeah. So that does add some stakes. And I thought the whole neural connection thing where the two pilots have to connect to each other's brains and each other's memories Mm -hmm. in order to control it. I thought that was really interesting. And I wish that they had done more than that. In what way? Well, I feel like it starts out as a thing and then it just kind of vanishes. Define thing. (laughs) Okay. Okay, I'll be honest, Monica. The first, like, 20 to 30 minutes of this movie, I was enjoying, but they were a little rough. Like, Charlie Hunnam's performance didn't impress me. The visuals were pretty spectacular, but at the same time, it was kind of like, oh, look, here's another guy that lost his brother. He's the wounded hero. He's going to be pulled back into action. We've seen this a million times before. Yeah. And it wasn't really doing much for me. Story-wise, and then they introduce uh, Rinku Kikuchi's character. I think her name is Mako. Mako, yeah. She adds a little bit more backstory, and I can pinpoint the exact scene in which this movie came together for me. Mm -hmm. You just throw out a crying Japanese girl. And I am invested. Okay, no, that that whole sequence like had me terrified. <laughs> it was a ch- crying child. How do you not just automatically like make me feel awful? <laughs> like, for- forget all the scenes of the robots versus monsters. That was the most well done scene, in my opinion. And can we talk about superhero Idris Elba at that point when he comes out of the machine and it's like sunlit from behind and gets a little lens flare there too. So he's like shining. Yes, it was a great moment and a great scene. That's its own short, man. (laughs) It kind of gets back to what we were talking about in Man of Steel when we were talking about how, you know, sometimes, you know, scope is not the same as stakes. And in Man of Steel, I talked about how I cared a little bit more about that one scene in which Lawrence Fishburne is trying to help out his Mm. employee, Jenny, or whatever, than I did about all the massive destruction around it. And in this movie, I felt more for that little Japanese girl than I did most of the time for, you know, the entire city of Hong Kong, okay? (laughs) You put a human face on it, and I'm there, okay? And also, I will say, I should have looked it up. I didn't look it up, but whatever the the child's actor's name is, whoever played that little girl, I'm going to go ahead and say best performance in the film. (laughs) Her name is Mana Ashida. 
Mana Ishida gives the best performance of the film. She's so adorable, and she spends the entire scene just crying, but yeah. she totally sells it. Like, I was sitting there thinking, Guillermo del Toro, what were you doing off camera to make this girl cry so much? <laughs> <laughs> How did you scare her like this? You're a terrible person. Because- How do you sell? You can get cookies after this. <laughs> <laughs> like, I totally bought that this girl was terrified. This little girl running from a giant kaiju. I know, because she was, like, shaking and everything. Yeah, and it was a really great scene because not only was that happening, but it was also connected to what was going on in the real world, where you had Raleigh Beckett, mm-hmm. played by Brick, Charlie Hunnam, in yeah. her memories with her, yeah. which I thought was a cool idea, and trying to like talk her out of this memory that she's sort of trapped in. Yeah. And then as she's trapped in it, the Jaeger is reacting in the real world, and she could theoretically like kill a bunch of people. Yeah. Accidentally. Mm-hmm. And that was such a well-done scene, and it actually hinted at some deeper emotional subtext about like memory and... While also giving her the backstory. Yeah, it gives you the backstory, but but it's also it also hints at how these if your two pilots have a bunch of emo- emotional baggage like Raleigh and Mako do, mm-hmm. then that could potentially be really dangerous. Yeah, and I wish that they had explored that more. Ah, uh. but after that scene where Mako gets trapped in the memory, they never really touch on it again. And I was thinking about it after the movie, and I realized, okay, this movie would have been really incredible if they had decided to sort of continue that emotional arc. No, she gets it under control real fast after that incident. It's really like, oh, that was the only hiccup. Well, well, that was that was good. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, for example, if they had actually been fighting the kaiju and something like this had happened or they were having to... Yeah. Deal with their emotions and their memories. And, and, you know, not only would that be a nice emotional and character subplot and an Mm -hmm. actual arc, it would actually add a lot of suspense to the fight. Mm -hmm. But as it stands, they don't really do that. They just kind of leave it behind. So I was a a little bit disappointed in that because I kind of felt like that really could have added some much-needed character development to the movie. I don't know if it's so much character development or at least exploring something deeper that could have been more of conflict later on because if they, they couldn't control their emotions and it would create problems, obviously, for them later on. I mean, they set up conflict, but then they never resolve it. Well, they resolve it. That's my thing is that they resolve it after that one hiccup. Well, it, it's not that they resolve it. It's just resolved. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's just never heard from again. Yeah, we never actually see them coming to grips with it or anything. Like, Raleigh loses his brother in the opening scene. Mako has lost her family and had this traumatic experience. But w- there's never any epiphany or any lesson where, where they kind of learn to overcome that. Mm-hmm. It just sort of vanishes like the writers were like oh well we've we've established that i guess that counts as character we don't need to do any more here so i guess my issue with i guess that scene was of course that so we got raleigh's character backstory at the beginning and i know because the way this is set up we get mako's backstory but i did have like it kind of rubbed me the wrong way that oh it was because she was emotional that she almost like caused this huge destruction in the bunker with the Jaeger, it's like, oh, because she's inexperienced, because she's emotional, like, 
that affected her. And I think at one point they do point out like, oh, she's emotional, but they never point out that Raleigh's emotional. Yeah, and and honestly, they set up that thing with Raleigh where he's lost his brother, he's kind of lost, he's wandering, he spends five years just doing odd construction jobs. So he's obviously rattled with guilt, and he's traumatized by what happened to his brother. And the loss is more recent, just saying. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) and yet that never shows up yeah. during the actual fight or during the neural connection. And I was thinking it would have been really great if this was a movie about these two people sharing brains and sharing memories mm-hmm. and having to help each other, each other through, through that. that trauma. Yeah, but it was all on her and she couldn't control it. And I was kind of like, come on, because the lady was too emotional. Right. That's how it kind of came off. And then it was also kind of odd that they kept pointing out like, oh, we're going to hold the door for the lady or I'm going to take it easy on. I'm not going to take it easy on you because you're a girl. Like they just kept making references to the fact that, oh, you're not a guy. I don't know. I was like, we could we could do without this. I kind of felt like that's how male-dominated military groups probably are. I mean, this would also be why I just have nothing to do with that world. But And, and also, you know, they're, I think to a certain extent they're trying to suggest that this relationship between Raleigh and Mako will grow into some sort of romance because that neural connection is so intense and it is so intimate. Well, if there's any doubt in your mind, the end should really clear that up for you. Yes. I don't believe they kiss at the end. What? But... I thought they did. I totally thought they did on top of their life raft. No, I don't, I don't think they do. I'm sorry. I don't believe they just hug it out. Yeah, they hug it out. No. No. I'm pretty sure they kissed. I'm pretty sure they did it. And I... Damn it. How do we not remember that? <laughs> I believe the screenwriter, I think his name is Travis Beecham. I believe on Twitter, someone asked him about that. And he said that he didn't feel it was necessary. And that, you know, if, if there's a sequel, that could be developed more. So I don't think that there was a kiss. And I'm not even sure the kiss is necessary. But again, I do think that if they had focused more on the trauma and, and kind of the emotional brokenness mm-hmm. of these two people and, and them working through that, I think that romantic connection would have felt a lot more organic and a lot more essential than it did. I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, because like, you share something so in like, I can private. understand why they would be romantically involved yeah. just because they were connected in that way. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we never really saw them getting to know each other or working together in the way that most friendships or romantic relationships kind of evolve out of. Yeah, well, I can't say I've had to neurally pilot a robot in order to meet a boyfriend, so <laughs> I've been I've been lucky in that sense. Yeah. Also, on that note, really awkward moment, and I'm embarrassed to admit this. Oh, God. One of the other Jaeger pilots, kind of <laughs> like the douchebag rival yeah, yeah. character, he pilots the Jaeger with his father. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the movie, so for some reason, I forgot that this was a father-son thing. Yeah. And then at the end, when his father tells him, like, like he's about to say, I love you, and then the guy says something like, you, don't, you never needed to say it, I always knew how you felt. Yeah. I forgot that they were father-son, and I was like, oh my god, is this older man in love with the younger guy? Uh, like... No, they make it so... They bring it up so many times. Like, it's the son and the father. It's, it's a, like Taylor's oldest time. 
So for that moment, I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. There's like the, the neural connection was so strong. It brought these two men together. And then, and then like later, they say something about the father and the son. And I was like, oh. I'm an idiot. Never mind. <laughs> yes, you are. Because I'm pretty sure they say it like 40 times in the movie. <laughs> well, I forgot. No, there was no question in my mind. <laughs> they definitely brought it up enough. And it was like, oh, and they make jokes about the guy's daddy issues and stuff like that. So it's... Yeah. Speaking of the other pilots, I was kind of depressed they didn't do more with like the Russians and some of the other pilots. I think of the other, the other Chinese triplets. They're yeah. just, like, mowed down in the first battle, and these are supposed to be, like, top-of-the-line guys. We didn't get that collaboration. It would have been awesome, like, four Jaegers versus four Kaiju sh- Smackdown showdown. It just, nah, we're going to level these guys real yeah. quick. All the pressures on them to get out there and to fight. Yeah, and, you know, they, they kind of start out with an international crew mm-hmm. of Jaeger pilots, But by the end, it's pretty much just the Americans and the Australians. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Only English speaking, please. (laughs) Yes, yes, only English. And uh, I guess we can allow Idris Elba to have his his And and plus one Mako. Yeah, but overall I was just kind of like, huh, interesting how you got rid of the other Asians and the Russians. Yeah. So, yeah, there are just little things like that that I thought were interesting and, and, you know, maybe they could have been handled better. But on the whole, I was willing to go with it. Yeah. There was one major plot hole. Oh, yes, I'm curious to hear this. I think it's a plot hole and I just really didn't understand it at all. What the hell was up with Ron Perlman's shoes? Well, that too. There's a big motif of shoes in this movie and I'm not quite (laughs) sure why. Guillermo del Toro, like, really loved shoes. (laughs) Oh no, not a Tarantino fetish. Well, I'm I'm waiting for someone to come out with some analytical essay on what the deal is with the shoes because I think there's clearly something going on there, but I couldn't mm-hmm. figure out what it was. Oh man. Okay, but yeah, the plot hole it involves Charlie Day's character. He mm-hmm. goes to find Ron Perlman's character, Hannibal Chow. Yep. And this is after he has neurally linked with the kaiju brain. Yep. And that is, it's because of that that all hell breaks loose, essentially. Yeah. And they realize, oh, no, the neural link went two ways, so the kaiju know everything, they know our plan, and, and that sort of thing. And I, I could buy that part. And we see the kaiju, they show up, and now they're, like, shooting acid and stuff like that mm-hmm. because they know about the Jaegers. What I couldn't understand is how this kaiju that shows up could be, like, tracking Charlie Day. Because he gets the impression, like, it's coming after me, it's coming after me. We see the kaiju, like, breaking through the bunker and trying to grab him. So, for some reason, the kaiju is, like, drawn to him. But I was just thinking, wait, if you're neurally linked, I mean, that means you should understand, you should get the other person's knowledge but not where they are in the future from, you know, after you're linked, you know? Say that again? Okay, Charlie Day neurally links with the kaiju back at the base or whatever. Mm-hmm. How would the kaiju know, oh, he's going to Hong Kong and he's going to be in this bunker? Like, they were no longer neurally connected. Well, he, they would already have known about the base because that's where he connected in the first place. 
Well, yeah, but but then but when the kaiju goes after him, he's in Hong he's in Hong Kong mm-hmm. with Hannibal Chow, and then he goes into that underground bunker with all the other civilians. Wasn't he freaking out because they could sense him or something? Well, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. I couldn't figure out how they could sense him. I don't know echolocation. <laughs> like just because the neural link was there, maybe they have a power we haven't yet figured out. Yeah, I, I was like, how can they sense you, and how can they? track you and why do they want you specifically yeah. i mean like when the jaeger pilots neurally connect mm-hmm. after they're done with that connection they don't know where the other person is yeah charlie hunnam could be on one side of the base and rinko kikuchi could be on the other side of the base doing their own thing and they don't know where each other is mm-hmm. so how come after charlie day severs that neural connection the kaiju know where he is dude kaiju aren't human you don't know what's up with them i don't buy it that was All the right. one thing I was kind of like, this doesn't make sense. They're like dogs and have super good sense of smell. And they just know how Charlie Day smells because of his brain? It's connected to him. Could be. <laughs> DNA. It's Guillermo del Toro. Come on, you saw Pan's Labyrinth. The man has a scary mind. When they said, oh, the, uh, the connection, it's a two-way street. It goes both ways. I was like, okay, I can understand how the kaiju now know about stuff. But not how they know where you are right now, specifically. Yeah, plot hole indeed, I guess. Anything else you want to say about Pacific Rim? Anything else that really stood out to you? Not particularly. I mean, overall, again, these are, I guess, relatively minor complaints than what we've had for the past couple movies. Well, I feel like some of this stuff is pretty big. Like, okay, I feel like a lot of this underdeveloped character stuff in another movie would have really stuck out. There's so many other things going on to take away your attention from that. In fact, it might have been almost too long of a movie if we decided to add character development into stock characters in order to develop that further. See, I think they could have worked that into the action scenes yeah, and and done it both. Mm -hmm. But even without that, the spectacle was enough to make me forget that these characters didn't really have a full emotional arc. Yeah. And I feel like in other movies, that would have just stuck out and really, really frustrated me and made me really, really angry. But say what you will about Pacific Rim, Guillermo del Toro knows how to do spectacle, he knows where to put the camera, mm-hmm. and he, he knows how to distract me <laughs> from all of that. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the action scenes in this movie, again, were so well lit, even the ones at night. And I just, I loved the color palette, how yeah. you got a lot of neon colors in Hong Kong, and mm-hmm. then the, the kaiju were always glowing, and I just loved how it all looked. It wasn't murky. It wasn't hard to see. There were a couple close-ups where it was occasionally hard to figure out, wait, is that the robot's limb being torn off or the kaiju's limb being torn off? But other than a, f- a few shots, mm-hmm. the action scenes were so coherent, especially compared to the other big summer tentpole movies we've seen lately. It was just a breath of fresh air. Just kind of yeah. like... Thank you. This is what a summer movie is supposed to be. Even if the characters aren't great, the action is well staged enough. And Dude, just big have enough. fun. Just have fun. Shut up. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> just accept for what it is. Yeah. So overall, I I enjoyed Pacific Rim, and I think if I was a twelve year old boy, this would be my new favorite movie in the world. Yeah. And it would just kind of be like, well, how can you beat Pacific Rim? Well, we shall see. The summer ain't done yet. 
it's not done yet. So, I mean, in terms of a film, I don't think Pacific Rim is as good as The Purge. But in terms of, oh, Lord. <laughs> but in terms of scope and fun, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really great. All right, so definitely go check that out. This seems to be our general recommendation. All right, I think that'll wrap it up for our discussion of Pacific Rim. Let's move on to our final segment of the show, Reboot This. This is the part of the show where we pitch either a prequel, sequel, or remake to the movie that we just discussed. Monica, if Warner Brothers came to you and said, Pacific Rim, people liked it, we want to continue this franchise... Guillermo del Toro has so many other projects he signed up to work on. He just doesn't have time to continue this. We want you to figure out how to how to make this continue. Oh God, no! I would not do that. <laughs> if they say we will, we will give you fifty million dollars to work on this. You're a talented writer. Help us out. Guillermo or Bust would be one of my things. <laughs> I don't think it would work as well. And to, I mean, so much of it is just the design and the care that's taken to create this world. And I think that's more has to do with the director in this sense. So I wouldn't like to see it switch hands halfway through. I think I'd be interested to explore a prequel. What happens leading up to the kaiju getting bigger? Maybe like the first big kaiju attacks and things like that. What, what was that like? You don't want to take it even further back? I've heard a lot of people say they want to see the prequel where the kaiju take out the dinosaurs. Oh, well, in that case, aliens versus dinosaurs. I mean, I think you already have an audience there. The pitch I heard briefly from, I believe it, I want to say it was my friend Adam Frazier, who writes for uh, Geeks of Doom, he said something to the effect of, you know, they could do a plot where there's another time rift where the Jaegers can actually go back in time to stop the kaiju from their initial wiping out of the dinosaurs or something where it would be robots versus kaiju versus dinosaurs <laughs> and I think that that sounds awesome in concept I don't think that that would work however just because you can get away with dismembering a fictional kaiju monster in a PG-13 film, mm-hmm. I don't think you could get away with dismembering a dinosaur. Ha! <laughs> yeah, that might get a little, uh, violent. Like, as weird as that sounds, I think seeing a T-Rex get its arm ripped off would be far more graphic and shocking to kids yeah. than seeing a kaiju get its arm ripped well, off. Well, because it's not glowy cool fluorescent blood it would be red potentially or they could make it green to not upset the uh ratings board well it's also because we know dinosaurs actually existed yeah that too there'd be a sense of oh we're watching this real creature get hurt no don't tear up little foot yeah and every and and everyone loves dinosaurs okay Don't kill the dinosaurs. People mm-hmm. would be upset. So yeah. I'm not sure that would work. But you're saying you want to see a prequel for, like, the first kaiju battle? I think it'd be interesting to see, like... Well, because they, they did a little flash of it where they look at, like, the media, what was happening, and he says in voiceover, which I'm not a fan of the voiceover, by the way. I think it was a crappy delivery, so it just kind of annoyed me. I will give Charlie Hoodham this. He does a better voiceover than Jaden Smith. Well, yeah, that's from one monotone <laughs> to the next. So <laughs> let's bring in Harrison Ford's voiceover from Blade Runner. <laughs> oh no! We'll showdown and see who makes each other fall asleep first. 
so Monica, are you saying you just want like a disaster porn movie where kaiju attacks for the first time and people are running and trying to figure out? Well, what to like do? the development of Jaegers, that could be cool. I mean, they had kind of you know like the Iron Man, how they developed that. Oh, like the so like the old primitive Jaegers, like the Mach One or whatever. Yeah, that the one that looked like a tin can. Yeah, yeah, could be interesting. Maybe it could be about Raleigh and his brother. They're up until Mach 3 or so. They don't like each other, but then they have to learn to love each other again in order to pilot Jaegers together. There we go. Or it ends, it picks up right when they get into the program. Because they weren't there at the beginning. Yeah. Sure. I'd be okay with that. That could be interesting. I was trying to figure out what I would do if if someone offered me the uh, Pacific Rim franchise. And honestly, I don't really know what you could do in a sequel. Mm-hmm. Unless it was just, well, we're going to go all out and we're going to send the Jaegers to the Kaiju homeworld. Mm-hmm. And we're going to send them through another rift, through the bridge or whatever, yeah. to the other side. That would be cool. But other than that, I was like, I don't know where you could take this. This isn't a really nice standalone movie. And I was thinking, okay, well, if I'm Warner Brothers yeah. and, I, and all I care about is the money, mm-hmm. the best thing I could do would be franchise crossover. Uh-oh. So tell me what you think about this, Monica. The Hobbit Part 4, <laughs> where the Jaegers go through a rift and they're in Middle Earth. No, thanks. No? No. And the Hobbits and the Elves have to team up to take down the Jaegers and the Kaiju. No? No, I'm good. Tolkien would roll over in his grave, but I would still go see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't they also revamping Godzilla? Yes, they are. Okay. They can stop production on that. We're done. <laughs> We're good here. How about that? We'll kill a reboot before it happens. Okay, Monica, how do you feel about this? The Hangover Part 4. Uh. You get Bradley Cooper and Ed Helms and Zach Galifianakis. You get, the, you get them together. And they become Jaeger pilots. And no. they, they're, okay, they're in Hong Kong no. getting wasted and they're having another hangover moment when the kaijus attack and they have to remember what happened. I think you just made me sicker by reminding me that the hangover was a trilogy. Yes, and I'm saying we should make it a quadrilogy no. and add giant robots and kaiju. Enough damage has been done to the pop culture without employing Todd Phillips anymore. What if it ends with Kaiju just killing all four of them? Would that be okay? That movie would still be two hours too long. (laughs) So even at the end of the movie... You mean you would ask audiences to pay for that awfulness? Not if it was a direct-to-DVD sequel. Not even. No? No. I would see that movie. Okay. Okay, okay. How about... (laughs) Oh, Lord. Magic Mike Part 2. No! Leave Channing Tatum alone! Well, he went to start his business, but then the kaiju attacked, so his plans got put on hold and he became a Jaeger pilot. Come on! He was in Tampa, or like, wherever in Florida. That's Atlantic. So is the sequel going to be Atlantic Rim? Yes. Also the name of his strip club. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And because he's a stripper, he teams up with another one of his stripper buddies, and their moves are so good that that is what helps them defeat the kaiju. This sounds like a horrible, scary movie sequel. (laughs) Oh, my God. Fast and Furious. Drift. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm cutting you off right now. <laughs> We're done recording. Best crossover ever. Vin Diesel and the gang, pilot, giant robots. No, 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 no. They're in their cars, and they have to battle the Jaegers and the Kaiju in their cars with their muscle cars. Jaegers versus Kaiju versus muscle cars. Okay. Preferably American muscle. We're done here. I'm cutting you off. Okay, okay. Yeah, those are, those are the only ideas I could think of. Either set it in the kaiju homeworld or do some sort of crossover. As directed by Steven Soderbergh. Yes! Oh my goodness, can you imagine a Soderbergh-directed Pacific Rim? It would have the weirdest yellow colors. <laughs> Oversaturated forever. There would be very little action. There'd be a lot of kaiju talks. Yes. Anyways... All right. I think that'll wrap it up for part two of our discussion of Pacific Rim here on Cinema Fix. Don't forget to tune in next week when we will be discussing The Conjuring or The Conjuring or however you want to say it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a horror movie. We'd love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes. So if you like this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the show. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including The Thin Place and our two weekly uh, TV shows that we're, we're also producing podcasts about. We've got our show Navigating the Newsroom, which is about the newsroom on HBO, and Avenging Angels, which is all about the last season of the Showtime series Dexter. So be sure to check those out. Uh, Monica, where can people find you online? People can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at mcastimovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I movies. They can also find my work reposted on the Boston Online Film Critics Association website at bofca.com. You can find some of my writing at filmgeekradio.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're, you're a listener, and I will follow you back. That'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Monica Castillo. And have fun this weekend high on cinema. And be really careful with that drift. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!